rich stuff this morning. I think I'm going to skip over the second reading. I don't think it adds anything to our time together, and we'll go straight to the sermon. Imagine a steering committee meeting of a group starting up a twice-monthly breakfast program in an inner-city neighborhood. This steering committee is made up of some people from the white suburban church that is funding the breakfast and providing the volunteers. It has two members of the dwindling white urban church whose parish hall the breakfast will take place in. And it has one person who lives just a couple blocks from the church and knows well the people whom the breakfast will serve. The steering committee has made great progress so far. Commitments of funds and volunteers are in hand. A local food bank has agreed to sell breakfast supplies at cheap prices. A local grocery store chain has agreed to supply fresh fruit for every breakfast. As the planning goes on, the woman who lives in the neighborhood gets quieter and quieter. The rest of the steering committee excitedly talks over one another. They're pleased at the prospect of helping the poor. They know that a breakfast near the first, near, near the 15th and the 30th of each month will help needy families stretch their budgets until payday. And it will make the volunteers happy to be able to provide a free breakfast. When the neighborhood woman cannot stand it any longer, she blurts out, you have to make us pay something for the food. Stunned, the rest of the steering committee looks at her incredulously. You have to make us pay something for the food, she repeats, looking embarrassed. You just can't give it away. It won't mean nothing to us if you do. Of course, the steering committee had planned on making the breakfast free to anyone who wanted to eat. Of course, it would be funded by both money and donations from the suburban church. Of course, no one would be turned away. These people were needy and poor. The least the church could do would be give them a free meal. What do you mean, make you pay, asked the steering committee chair. We have plenty of money for the breakfast program. Make us pay a dollar a person and 50 cents for kids, she said. Then you will feed our dignity, too. In an instant, the steering committee understood the deeper meaning of what they were trying to do. It wasn't enough to feed people's bodies. Their dignity had to be fed, too. But what if someone doesn't have any money, asked another steering committee member. Make them wash dishes for half an hour, the woman said. No free breakfast, 
period. No free breakfast, period. How charity would change if we all could be as clear as this wise woman that dignity had a price. She knew every family could scrape together at least a few dollars any time of month. She knew people would view the breakfast and the workers differently if they had to contribute to the cost. More importantly, she knew the volunteers would view the guests very differently if they were paying customers, not poor unfortunates taking a handout. So at the very first breakfast, everybody had to pay a dollar at the door and 50 cents for every child 10 years and younger, no exceptions. A few people balked. How could a church charge them for a meal, they asked indignantly. This is a cooperative breakfast, the cheerful volunteer said. The few customers who claimed that they had no money were taken to the kitchen and stationed in front of a sink full of warm, soapy water. Half an hour later, they were welcomed to eat with the rest of the folks. A few people who had paid voluntarily took a turn at the dishes when they were done, too. This was no ordinary soup kitchen. This was a restaurant. Their restaurant. After a week or so, the volunteers insisted on paying a dollar per meal and sat down to eat with the folks from the neighborhood. The barrier between server and served came down and relationships emerged. As the program continued, one of the reasons for its success was that breakfast was not free. No one felt bad taking food from a church, and no one felt superior serving the poor. There is a tremendous difference between charity and change. Sadly, most churches in America provide a lot more charity than they provide change. Charity is easier, you see, It makes the church members who give money or time or donated cast-offs feel good. Rarely does a church ever ask the question, is our giving fostering dependency? Never do those receiving the charity say, stop making us worse by giving us all this stuff. A perfect circle is formed in which some people get to feel superior or at least lucky around the less fortunate, and the less fortunate get something for nothing. The people giving things away almost never ask what is really needed, and those getting the stuff almost never say what they really need. Change demands that both sides stop making assumptions and really talk about the problems that their their community faces. The problem for us, for most of us who really want to help, is that we project our own values on whatever situation we encounter. We want people to live in homes that are as nice as ours. We want people to eat the kinds of foods we would serve our children. We want people to learn the things we learned and teach the things that we were taught. The dark secret is we want other people to be like us 
because that will justify our lifestyle. It will keep at bay the crushing truth that our lives might not be all that sustainable either. If we can keep helping others, it will keep at bay the paralyzing truth that we ourselves are constantly in need of help. Charity is often a form of white privilege that keeps us feeling superior about how far we have come in our lives. The act of giving becomes not about us, becomes about us, not the recipient. The mission trip becomes about our temporary deprivation, not the betterment of others. The act of volunteering becomes about, about us giving our precious time, not the fostering of relationships with others. A $50 check to a charity lets us feel good without ever needing to see the faces of those that we have served. Too much charity is about us and not about the less fortunate at all. And not only is it patronizing, it is wasteful. In his book, Toxic Charity, How Churches and Charities Hurt Those They Help, Robert Lupton reports, Expenditures for a week of service by church and college groups are grossly out of proportion with what is actually accomplished. U.S. mission teams who rushed to Honduras to help build homes destroyed by Hurricane Mitch spent on average $30,000 per home. Homes locals could have built for $3,000 apiece. Ten times the cost. He goes on to say, the money spent by one campus ministry to cover the cost of their Central American mission trip to repaint an orphanage would have been sufficient to hire two local painters and two new full-time teachers and purchase new uniforms for every student in the school. Instead, I conclude, some well-meaning college students got to fly to a poor country together, bumble around with a building project, be grossed out by all the nasty roads, beds, insects, animals, bathrooms, and food they experienced there, post a bunch of photos on Facebook, and come back to the U.S. feeling like they had done something useful. Meanwhile, the badly painted orphanage struggled through another year with too many students per teacher and too few supplies. But the Americans got to feel good. And for most Americans, this is justification enough for such a trip. So how do we stop this? This is madness. How do we stop this? How does First Parish in Concord stop being part of the problem and start becoming part of the solution? I say we start by changing how we think of ourselves. As long as we think of ourselves as the lucky suburban church that has it all together, we will always give from a place of superiority. But if we see ourselves in great need of forgiveness and reconciliation, 
for the white privilege we have readily accepted. Then, then we might have a chance to be in relationship with other people. Only when we are able to humble ourselves will we ever be able to partner with others. Only when we see the exchange as equal will our time and our money not be suspect. We have a long, long way to go as a congregation in this regard. For many years, we have been a granting congregation who dispensed little bits of wealth to those who came asking. For many years, we have been the white savior that rushed into help, and we will not change these habits overnight, I promise you. But we have to look at what we're doing. We have to ask ourselves, are we helping or are we hurting? And we have to be willing to hear the honest answer. This very day, First Parish in Concord stands at a crossroads. Our social action director, Bethany Lowe, has moved on to, t- to the next chapter in her life, and we are about to begin a two-year pilot project to look at social action at First Parish in Concord. The Social Action Council Board has put good hard work into thinking about what sort of person we should hire next. And rather than just assuming that we should replace Bethany with something similar, I would like to have us really look at ourselves in the next two years. Do we want to remain a granting institution? Could we join with other churches or local groups to make a bigger impact? Is our scattershot approach serving the congregation well? Do we really want to tie our hands by insisting that 7.5% of our pledges are given as charity? The chief social action document of First Parish in Concord is its budget, the very budget that you all will vote on in less than an hour. What does our budget say about charity? What does our budget say about change? Robert Lupton suggests the following as an oath for compassionate service. Never do for the poor what they have or could have the capacity to do for themselves. Limit one-way giving to emergency situations. Strive to empower the poor through employment, lending, and investing, using grants sparingly to reinforce achievements. Subordinate self-interest to the needs of those being served. Listen closely to those you seek to help, especially to what is not being said. Unspoken feelings may contain essential clues about effective service. And lastly, above all, do no harm. We are making amazing progress as a congregation, and there is still a long ways to go. There is not a person in this church that does not want to do the right thing, and our ability 
to be humble, and to listen will be what makes us an effective partner with others. This is not easy work. We will make lots of mistakes, I promise you that. And trading charity for change is one truly helpful thing that we all can do. Let's go ahead and do it together. What do you say? So be it. Amen.